Holy Spirit, just come and fill this room. I know you're here and you reside here, but we just ask for more. We want to be full of you, full of your presence, full of your strength, um, full of your fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We just, we ask that you'd fill us. And um, God, I pray for each and every woman here, whatever they've brought in, I pray, God, that they would feel the touch they would feel your love. They would feel your strength. They'd feel your presence. They'd feel your joy. Um, and maybe someone that hasn't laughed all week will laugh today. And someone that really needs a hug will get a hug today. Um, I just pray for you to network your daughters to be your hands and feet, to hug and listen and love and encourage and laugh together. Um, help me to say what I'm supposed to say and pull out stuff I'm not supposed to say. I just want to be your voice. And so uh, I'm excited about teaching this and I just pray that you would direct me as I do it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so the mug swap, there are two sign-up sheets in the back. If you already commented on Facebook, we have a, there's a Facebook uh, group. If you've already commented on that, I'll make sure I write it down. But there's two sheets in the back. And what a mug swap is, is you basically... You, everybody that signs up, I pair you up. I just pray over it and pair you up. And then you pray for, you're not going to know the person. You're just going to pray, God, what mug is right for them? What, what needs, you know, it doesn't even, it doesn't have to be Christian. It can be, it can be funny. It can be whatever. Write a little card. And then there'll be a day where everybody brings their mugs to their person. I'll give you the names or there'll be numbers or something. I'll figure it out. I'll do all that background stuff and then you guys swap your mugs and can meet each other and um, it's really fun especially if you have a mug addiction like I do um, I love to buy them I love to have them in my home and give them to people so um, speaking of which I have two mugs and you guys sometimes people will come up to me and say I bought this mug that I bought just for you to give away um, and I think that's really fun because uh, sometimes I don't get a chance to go and sometimes I I do but this first one when I first talked about our adoption and Peter in the storm I talked about how we had this faith that was so certain as if it was happening like it the, the assurance was so strong that we, we, we were able to act as if what we believe was going to happen was going to happen. And it was faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, if you were here for that message, who here is like, that's the season I'm in? Like, is that you? Like, um, I'm walking in a faith that just, I can't see it, but I'm going to walk in that faith. So oh, thank you. that's good. You're welcome. And then last month, I gave a mug away um, that was golden and all blingy. And the girl that got it, um, the woman that got it, her mom really wanted it. And her, her mom said, you could give me that for Mother's Day. And they have this rule that you, they weren't going to buy each other a gift on Mother's Day. So she went through that loophole and gifted her mom the mug on Mother's Day. So I want to give her this replacement mug. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Because she was so generous. There's the golden mug. <laughs> Generosity is blessed. All right. So over the last few months, we've been talking about storms, right? This is our last one. Storms that break the boat, storms that show up when you least expect it. 
Uh, you remember how he talked about Peter, and even though they, they literally obeyed exactly what Jesus told them to do, and they still found themselves in a storm. So this morning, we're going to be getting to the story of Jonah. All right? Unlike Peter, Jonah disobeyed God's instructions, and he purposefully got on a different boat than the one he was supposed to. And then this storm that has like a GPS tracking device <laughs> tracks him down in the middle of his disobedience. The first thing you're going to notice is that Jonah's storm isn't just a chapter in a book. It's not like six little verses. Jonah's storm is an entire book, the book of Jonah. It's so significant that it has its own, it's been given its own book. So if you have your Bibles, which I always love, like, I'm like a Bible, Bible person. I want to turn pages and stuff. But if you have your Bible, open up to Jonah. If you pull it up on your phone, that's good too. Um, sometimes I have the scriptures up there, but most of the time I like you ladies to find it and, and look at it. And you can jot notes in your Bible and stuff. In verse 1, the word of the Lord. Now, when it's capital L-O-R-D, who is that? Yahweh, right? Whenever there's capital L-O-R-D, it's saying Yahweh. The word of Yahweh came to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah's like, aye, aye, captain, I'm on my way. Is that what you've heard about Jonah? No. Verse 3 he rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. How many times are they going to tell us he wants to get far away from what the Lord's doing? To go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It says that twice. Jonah just wanted to get away from the presence of the Lord. Now this will give you an idea of how far away, as far as they were concerned, this was like us and around the other side of the world. In their mind, this was, he was like, what's as far away as I can get from Nineveh? Tarshish. So he's here in Joppa and he gets, he gets on a boat that's going to go way over there. He's supposed to be over here. And I love that whatever artist or whoever did this map, Look what they did when Jonah falls off the boat. He's like, he went this way and that way. They like tried to really track him, how, what actually happened. And then he finally landed over there. But he clearly wanted to get far away from Nineveh. And he just thought he could get away from, like get out from under God's presence by running away. Um, how many of you know you can't get out of the presence of the Lord? You, you can't. Um, David asks in the Psalms, where can I go from your presence, right? Psalm 139, verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the place of the dead, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, Jonah, right? Even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. 
In Hebrew, lay hold of, that word, is to grasp. It's the idea that there's a ball coming down and you grab it right out of the air. No matter where you're at this morning, God can reach out and catch you in a fall. Or he can hold you through the fire or through the situation or bring you out of something. One time I, I, I wrote this blog and I, I put this phrase in it as like this, it was this very comforting and encouraging post, right? No matter where you find yourself today, God will catch you. He's there. But when you're dealing with sin, and you read that very same line, it's a little more sinister. No matter where you find yourself today, God will catch you. He is there, right? And God was with Jonah, all right, and he brought a storm with him, right? So Tarshish was in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Because, I mean, that's what God told him to do. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Nineveh. Nineveh was an ancient Assyrian city located on the outskirts of Mosul in modern-day northern Iraq. You hear about Mosul in the news. You hear about the refugees that are there, the the war that's going on there. It was there. It was actually the capital of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And for about 50 years, it was considered the largest city in the world. Parts of it are still standing. Last year, ISIS knocked down the Mashki Gate. Last year, which was a gate in Nineveh. That's how amazing it was that still parts of it were standing. In Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we, give a, we get a good idea of how wicked the people of Nineveh were. He says, Woe to the bloody city, completely full of lies and pillage. Her prey never departs. The noise of the whip, the noise of the rattling wheel, the galloping horses and bounding chariots, horsemen charging, swords flashing, spears gleaming, many slain, a mass of corpses and countless dead bodies. They stumble over the dead bodies. So like on TripAdvisor, Nineveh would be like, one circle or whatever, you know, maybe. It was like there were dead bodies everywhere. We couldn't get to lunch, you know, that. It's like you don't want to go there. It sounds horrible, right? The rulers in Nineveh would, would lead these bloody, bloody campaigns to get these, the cities around them. One of the Assyrian gates into the city had images carved into it of men literally being torn apart. And like, decapitated heads on posts, like that's a welcome to Nineveh, you know, and it was, they had that carved into it. One king, I think it was Sennacherib, had in the walls of his castle, the walls of his, where he lived, he had pictures of his conquests, and there'd be men impaled on sticks, and men being held apart because they're about to get flayed, you know, um, and the, the spoils of war and the slaves coming before him. That was like his interior designers like, oh, that would be lovely there. You know, let's do the, 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 the men being flayed on this wall. Like, he just wanted to be surrounded by his conquest. That's how brutal he was. That's how bloody everything was. 
On one of the inscriptions, what he wrote of Babylon, its inhabitants, young and old, I did not spare. And with their corpses, I filled the streets of the city. So yeah, let's go to Nineveh, right? That sounds great. These are bad guys. These are bad guys, and Jonah knows it. He had every reason to expect that he might be attacked if he went there, especially on this particular mission, that he'd be killed. Um, God had called him to a violent, pagan, Gentile city to call them to repentance, to tell them their wicked ways needed to stop and they should repent to Yahweh, repent of pillaging and impaling and flaying and all that kind of stuff. So, of course, he doesn't want to go. In addition to not wanting to go because he was afraid for his life, uh, Jonah didn't want the Assyrians to get like any sort of grace from Yahweh. He didn't want the Assyrians in Nineveh to escape God's judgment. He was like, Lord, fire from heaven, smite them. You know, like if you're going to do anything, just pour your fire down and burn it, the whole thing up. That would be awesome. They deserved it. Really, when you, if you think about where his mind's at, they deserved it. It would be like a Jewish man during World War II hearing God tell him, I'm going to bring terrible judgment on Germany, and I want you to go to Berlin and tell Nazi Germany to repent of what they're doing. One, that would seem like a suicide mission, and two, he'd be like, oh no, you don't need to forgive them, Lord. Justice, right? How about let justice roll down and take care of that. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Jonah is now in the boat. The Lord, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, in the Bible, it's like little g, God. And they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Where do you think this peace is coming from? I mean, that's like a real question. How is he sound asleep in a storm? So I was like, okay, is he just in denial? Um, have you, I have been to this place. Have you ever been to this place where you are so, you hit rock bottom emotionally? Something has been so tearing at you that you hit rock bottom and you think, I don't even care what happens. I don't even care. Lord, take me now. I honestly don't care what happens. And so that could be Jonah at the front of the boat, like, if this storm takes us down, I don't care. The de he, he could be so just depressed and distressed, feeling guilty that he's run from the Lord, that it's just, he doesn't, I'm just going to go to sleep and not care what happens. He could also be just feeling peaceful because he's like, whoo, dodged a bullet, I don't have to go to Nineveh, I'm on my way to Tarshish, right? I'm going to sleep like a baby because any storm's better than going to Nineveh. So we don't know, but he was just, he was happy sleeping in the front. So all the sailors in the boat with Jonah were religious men following different types of 
gods and religions, and they start crying out to their little g gods, but we know that their gods were nothing. Their gods could do nothing, right? And the captain says, maybe your God will care about our predicament, which is funny because little does he know that Jonah's God actually put them in that predicament. It's Jonah's God that placed them in that storm. Verse 7, each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They're trying to figure this out. And he said, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So the lot fell on Jonah. And lots were used in those days. They could have been like little sticks with marks on them, maybe small animal bones. Um, it was kind of like rolling the dice when you cast lots. And God actually would allow the Israelites to get direction from him or determine his will by casting these lots. It's kind of like flipping a coin, right? And even though these men followed a false god, the true god directed the lots to land in such a way to point to Jonah. Proverbs 16.33 says, We may throw the dice, but Yahweh determines how they fall. And so he pointed to Jonah using those lots. Now it's thought that Jonah said more than, I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. It's thought that he probably talked about his guilt and what was happening and how mighty God was and how he was running from God. Verse 10, then the men became extremely frightened and said to him, how could you do this? They're like, you serve the God of the sea and you make him mad and then get in a boat. That's like, because the gods they served, there was the God of air, fire, sea. So as far as they were concerned, you had just really blown it because you made the God of the sea mad and then you got in the sea. So, you know, that wasn't a good idea. How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh because he had told them. You angered the God that made the sea? Even an unbeliever who knows some truth about God knows to rebuke a Christian who's resisting God. Even an unbeliever can look at a Christian and know to call out, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like the right thing. Um, this made me think about when I was in college and uh, I totally got in with the wrong crowd in the wrong place. And let's just say I was a local in Tijuana at that time. We'd go like three times a week and drink and dance. And I was probably 19. And uh, I was in this club. And somebody said, if you're a Christian, why do you have a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other? And I was probably wearing like hot pants and Doc Martens. And like, <laughs> I was not evangelizing at that point. And I remember thinking, that's a, that's a really good question. Because I'd grown up in the church. I was like a, on fire, you know, for Jesus in high school. But that got further and further away the more I got in with the wrong stuff. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, even this person that wasn't a Christian was like, oh, you're, I don't know what I was doing. I was probably like telling them about Jesus. And they're like, what? 
It matters. All that matters, right? Be above reproach. Um, anyhow, so this Hebrew God, Yahweh, got, the, got their attention. They knew the name. They knew the name of that God. So they asked Jonah, so how do we get rid of this storm? And Jonah, knowing that his, the storm was there like for him, that it was like a heat-seeking missile, you know, coming after him, he told them, just throw me overboard and the storm will just follow me <laughs> and you guys will be fine. And I love that Jonah owned it. Like he had run once, he didn't run again. He's like, it's after me. So just, just throw me overboard and you guys will be saved. As hard as you try, you cannot run from truth. You know? So they tried desperately to row to land. The word that's used is like this idea of digging their oars into the water with everything they have. Because they don't want to throw them overboard, partly because they probably just don't want to do it. And secondly, he's one of God's prophets, even though he's disobedient. They're like, what will happen if we throw one of Yahweh's disobedient prophets into the ocean? It's going to come back on us. So they're like, get to shore, and then we won't have to worry about it. They started to believe that, hey, that is Yahweh God might be real. But they eventually decide that their only option is to throw him overboard. But first they say a little prayer. It's kind of like a don't be mad <laughs> prayer, okay? We earnestly pray, oh Yahweh, don't let us perish on account of this man's life, right? Don't put innocent blood on us. For you, Yahweh, have done as you have pleased. This is on you. So don't take it out on us. You sent this storm. We're just going to go ahead and throw them overboard. Amen. Right? <laughs> Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared Yahweh greatly. They offered a sacrifice to him and made vows. And many commentators believe that they actually came to a faith in Yahweh. They saw the power of God in Jonah's storm, and they believed. The same will happen with your storm. Even if it's a storm that comes from disobedience, if you own it in honesty and humility, God will use it to bring others to himself. He will use your storm. They will see him in it. So they threw Jonah out of the boat. Now this is a little side note. For someone here, your storm would stop raging if you just threw someone out of the boat. Does that make sense? Your storm is the consequence of someone else being in your boat. It could be an abusive boyfriend or a husband I'm not pro-divorce, but I am anti-abuse, physical, mental affairs, etc. Right? It could be a toxic relative, a critical friend, someone that ignores all your boundaries. And if you do have someone that needs to get out of your boat, they probably popped into your mind as soon as I said, somebody here, your storm would be over if you kicked someone out of the boat. And I dated the abusive boyfriend and I can tell you that the storms get a lot calmer and go away in their sunshine when you get them out of the boat just saying 
Just like the sailors, it's not your job to get them to shore or accommodate them. You let God handle them and he will take care of it. I think it's important to, I think it's important to point out here that the other sailors were in the middle of a storm that was literally about to break apart their boat because of someone else's sin, because of someone else's disobedience. They were in a storm because of Jonah's sin. Not every storm comes from God's hand. And some of you have heard me talk about this before. Your situation may be because of someone else's sinful choices. Your situation or storm might be because of natural consequences to your own sin. Sometimes we run right into consequences from our own sin, our own disobedience. Sometimes the storm is God shifting things around to get you to another place. And sometimes it's Satan who's working really hard to break you down and to keep you down by any means necessary so you never walk in the fullness of who God's called you to be. And of course, Satan will try to convince you that tragedy that he has orchestrated so carefully is God's doing. So then you blame God or you put it on God. God gave me cancer to get my attention, right? I'm sure everybody in here has heard that, or to slow me down. Um, that's not how he works. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. Sickness, sickness wasn't on earth until Satan came on the scene. He brought it, and Jesus came to destroy his works. So you can't, uh, God doesn't go, Kapow, kapow, cancer, illness, autism. Now I'm going to bring all these people to me. No, he said, Jesus, go down and destroy all the works of Satan. So that's just a little side note. Sometimes you're in a storm because of someone else's sin. And I want to say, if you feel like you blame God for every horrible tragedy or sickness, everything happens for a reason. God made this car accident happen. God put my dad in the hospital. God did this. Then I would pray about repenting because it's not always God. God doesn't just look around for ways to draw you to him with tragedy. But there's this romanticized feeling that God has done it, and it's not always him. So just pray for discernment. Verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. So the Bible doesn't specify what sort of fish swallowed Jonah. There are at least two possible species that were in that, in the kind of Mediterranean marine life that are possible that they could swallow a man whole. Um, most people assume that it was a sperm whale. It also might have been a white shark. Uh, the Hebrew phrase used in the Old Testament, gadaldag, literally means great fish. And when you look in the New Testament, it means sea creature. The word means sea creature. So here's a sperm whale. So that's kind of a tight squeeze, right? But you, he kind of could go in. But look at those teeth, right? You'd have to, like, really get skinny to be able to go in there. But it's, it's better than the, white, than the shark option. <laughs> I mean, that, this is a real picture. That's not photoshopped. He could eat, one of those guys could slip in, right? But look at those teeth. So I like this guy's, I like this guy's picture. No, it's just, Jonah's like in a fish bus, right? He's like, next stop, 
minimal, you know, like, that would be, he's like, how did I get here? But that looks like, like, they're about to offer coffee service, you know? That would be, that's the way to go, but that's probably not how it happened. So Jonah's actions and disobedience land him in a storm, and then into a stinky, uncomfortable, painful place. What did he do? Did he blame everyone around him? Did he blame God? He prayed. He prayed from the middle of his broken consequence because he was, li- he was literally in a consequence for his own actions. He got past his guilt, past his shame, past his anger and his fear, and he prayed. In fact, all of chapter 2 is his prayer. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7 from chapter 2. This is out of his prayer. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Even from the midst of that place, he prayed and it came in to the Lord's holy temple. Verse 10, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. And I picture sort of, I picture it. I just literally said I picture, I picture it this way. Is anybody else like me? I picture like he's regurgitating this man onto the shore, you know? Like it's not one big boo, like it's this slow sort of process. (laughs) It's gross, I know, but that's what I pictured. All right. So chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It was a three days walk. But it says, Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. He was only part way into the city. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now this wasn't likely his whole message, but it was a focus. He was, he was going to call them to repentance. He was talking about their wickedness. He was listing all the things. He was saying, Yahweh is going to destroy you if you do not repent. And look what happens next in verses 5 through 9. Remember, he's only one day into a three-day trek across the city, and this is what happens. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on ashes. 
He issued a proclamation and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. This was mourning. This was a sign of repentance and mourning. And let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. That is not the reaction I would have expected from these very brutal, violent, conquering people, right? What persuaded them so quickly to just, even up to the king, to say, okay, Lord, okay, God, we repent. Listen to how God redeemed Jonah's disobedience to create this really phenomenal evangelistic opportunity. This is so cool. In this particular area, they worshipped the god Dagon. You're going to recognize that name from different messages that you've heard over time. Dagon actually fell to the Ark of the Covenant one time when they were put in the same room. Dagon was a very popular fish god along the Mediterranean coast. Images of Dagon have been found in palaces and temples in Nineveh and throughout the region. In some cases, he was, he was represented as a man wearing a fish. In others, he was part man, part fish. Sort of a merman. Sort of. With lots of jewels and a crown, apparently. So, interesting how the god that they worship the most looks like a man being spit out of a fish. Isn't that interesting? So what do you think happens when a fish flops up onto shore and a man is coming out of it? <laughs> you imagine Jonah, he's halfway out of the creature's mouth, his skin, hair, clothes, everything bleached white from like, the stomach acids. He looks like Dagon. He looks like this God that they've rendered in all these drawings and statues but have never actually seen. So there's people on the beach. They're watching him slide out of the fish's mouth. They start following him like we watched this guy come up on the shore out of a fish. This is Dagon. They talk about how they witnessed him by this great fish. And then they probably added all these exaggerations like people do. Clay Trumbull says this. What better heralding as a divinely sent messenger to Nineveh could Jonah have had than to be thrown up out of the mouth of a great fish in the presence of witnesses, say, on the coast of Phoenicia, where the fish god was the favorite object of worship. Such an incident would have inevitably aroused the mercurial nature of oriental observers so that a multitude would be ready, ready to follow the seemingly new avatar of the fish god, proclaiming the story of his uprising from the sea as he went on his mission to the city where the fish god had its very center of worship. How many people did not know that? See, I didn't either. Isn't that so cool? That's why, so people are like the fish god, Dagon saying that we need to turn to Yahweh, Dagon saying we need to repent, Dagon saying, you know, Yahweh's going to come and oh, we better listen. This was their god. I just, 
love that. He took like Jonah's blatant disobedience and then like only God can was able to pull from it and take from other things and then create this, this whole new way to reach Nineveh. It's just amazing to me. Verse 10, when God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. God changed his mind when he saw their repentance. Confessing our sin, repenting of things, it matters. God takes notice when we do that. And never feel like what you have done is too bad to be forgiven. Never believe you're not worthy of the grace that God offers you. In all of its murderous sin, God loved Nineveh and its people. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to be reconciled with them. When you repent and you ask for forgiveness, he hears and he forgives. And for someone here this morning, when I was writing this, I felt like the Holy Spirit just put on my heart, there's someone here and you just keep slipping back into old habits and you're so discouraged. You just, every time you get, you just slip back and then you keep messing up. When I quit smoking, it took me so long to try to quit and then I just find any excuse to start back up again. And, and I mean, I just kept slipping and slipping and I just, sometimes you can feel like, oh, God, I'm sorry. Keep letting God pour his forgiveness and mercy on you. And then you get back up and you go again. Okay? Don't let Satan discourage you. You just keep going. Interestingly enough, God's forgiveness of Nineveh did not make Jonah happy. In fact, he was really angry. Chapter 4, verse 2. I knew it. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. Like, think when he's in the fish, he's like, you're gracious and compassionate, you know? And now he's like, oh, you're gracious and compassionate, full of loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity, you know, his tone. He's so mad that God is all the things he needed God to be the day before. He's mad. He's like, God, this is exactly what I thought would happen. That's why I was going to Tarshish, because this. Now they're, you're going to forgive them. I didn't want them to have a second chance, even though he had gotten one. He didn't want them to benefit from that grace. Jonah wanted to see the city destroyed. He could have, maybe he was personally impacted by it. He could have, maybe they rolled into his own town and he saw lost family or friends to these Ninevites. It is said about these Ninevites, they found more incredibly ingenious ways to be cruel than any other nation that has ever lived. He was like, smite them. Thank you. Just do that, Lord. Jonah hated them. The one thing he wanted more than anything else was to see Nineveh destroyed. Sometimes we want to keep the grace and forgiveness we have received from everyone else. Right? Especially those that have caused us pain. But we're called to forgive. Then Jonah gets a bit melodramatic. Therefore now, Yahweh, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Because God forgave Nineveh. That's his response. And Yahweh's like, do you have good reason to be angry? Like, 
Why are you angry? And Jonah goes off to pout and watch what's going to happen to the city. And while he's sitting in the hot sun, God grows a plant up over him that gives him shade, right? And he's super happy about it. He's like, this is a relief. I love this plant. Mwah. Your leaves. I love you. Plant. <laughs> right? But it says the next morning, God appointed a worm to eat the plant. And the plant withered and just fell. So Jonah's under the sun. And then God appoints this scorching wind to come along. So Jonah's in the sun with his little head. And the wind is scorching. And Jonah, it says, begs with all his soul to die. Death is better to me than life. I don't know why he didn't just move <laughs> to some shade. But he's like, oh, stubborn. Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry even unto death. He's mad about that plant. Then Yahweh said, you have compassion on the plant for which you did not work and you did not cause to grow that came up overnight and perished overnight, right? You loved that plant. Should I not have compassion and love Nineveh? The greatest, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as all the animals. God's like, you had that plant for one day and you loved it. You were so thankful for it. You didn't even grow it or do anything to form it, and you loved it. Shouldn't I love these people that I made? And they don't even know any better yet? They don't know? And then it's like, mic drop, just the chapter ends. Just like that. <laughs> so what can we learn from Jonah's storm story that will help us when we find ourselves in a similar situation. Number one, pray from inside your storm. And I'm telling you, I know it can be really hard and sometimes you don't want to do that. And sometimes there are seasons where it's okay if you don't do that. I know that Christians aren't supposed to say that, but when I went through a season of severe depression after I had my son, I literally just could not look at my Bible, it was hard to pray, I just, I just had to be in his presence, I just couldn't do it. And everyone's gonna tell you to get in the word and read more scriptures and you'll feel better. And there's times for that and sometimes you're just like, Lord, I just need you to be here. And that's okay too. Call out from the midst of your distress, look for him, look to him, remember him, sacrifice to him with the voice of thanksgiving. This is one of the hardest and most rewarding things I think that can be done when praise and thanksgiving is a sacrifice. When you come to church on Sunday and things are hard or you're in a storm or think you are lost and you just say, I, I just will praise you, God. And you, you fight for that praise. You fight for that thanksgiving and you declare who he is in the midst of no, whatever you're going through. It rises up in you. And it fills the gaps and strengthens you. That's why it's a sacrifice of praise. Because you don't feel like doing it. But you do it. And the reward, the interesting thing is, it comes back on you in his presence. Number two, do your best to make things right. <clears throat> Either head to where God last told you to go, 
or look for the new way he will make to get you where you belong. Just hope it's not a fish. <laughs> but it might be uncomfortable as he works to get you where you're supposed to be, right? Your disobedience could be hurting other people. So pray and get going and go, going in the right direction. It might mean walking towards something or walking away from something. It might mean you have to apologize. It might mean you have to repent to God and to somebody else that you sinned against. So do your best to make things right. Number three, live forgiven. Just as we've seen his heart and compassion for the people of Nineveh, know that our God is the God of second chances. He's this God that has so much grace that wants to keep pouring. He even gave them 40 days, you know, to change their minds. Like he wants everybody to be with him. He wants to be near us. And after you've repented and come before the Lord, move on and live like you're forgiven. Don't keep dragging it up and don't let other people throw it at you. You just move on, forgiven. Number four, live forgiving. Offer the same grace to others that you have received. Remember back to before the Lord got a really strong hold of your life and where you were at. What were you like before you found his grace? And let that kind of be the backdrop for how you offer it to others. Offer the kind of forgiveness that God offered the murderous Ninevites. Right? Offer that forgiveness to your enemies, to your exes, to your parents, to the teachers that made you feel stupid. Even down to the bullies in junior high. I know that sounds weird. Um, forgive. Uh, even if you're forgiving someone from when you were younger, it's really powerful. Time doesn't get rid of that wound, necessarily, but forgiveness will. There was a time where God had me walk through and say by name from elementary through junior high and high school, all the kids that made me feel stupid and ugly and less than, I knew them all by name because I was a, I was a nerd and I was totally bullied. Um, and the teachers that made me feel ugly or less than or not important. And I forgave them all by name. I was in my 20s when I did this. And the change that happened in my life, I cannot begin to explain. Forgiveness is powerful. And so offer that forgiveness to the people in your life that have hurt you. Who do you hate? God loves them. And he will always give them an opportunity to repent. So I'm going to close in prayer. Um, and we're actually going to, I'm going to kind of, the direction it's going to go is leading us to forgiving someone. I felt like that's what the Lord wanted to do with this. Um, I was looking online and there's this website, 15 ways to forgive, the 15 steps to forgiving someone. It's like, no, there's one. <laughs> you forgive them. I mean, that's just what in the bio, you know, 15 steps, whatever. So shortly after our last B&B, uh, my 80-year-old dad had a heart attack. And um, we're really tight. I'm really close with my family. And um, it was like three and a half weeks ago now, maybe. Um, and one minute I'm eating sushi, and the next minute I'm in my car driving to Manteca because he was in the emergency room. And it was a severe heart attack. And I remember driving out there thinking, okay, if something happens to my dad before I get there, 
we're good. Like, I didn't, there's nothing, there's no secrets, there's no hard feelings, there's no I love him, he loves me, there's no I wish I would have said, I wish I would have done, I wish I could have told him, I wish I could have. That is an amazing feeling. It's a feeling of freedom. So keep that in mind when you're thinking about forgiving people or making things right. You just don't know when that chance is going to be gone. Now, I will tell you that they got my dad into some heart ICU, and then he had a stint put in, and two and a half weeks later, he was playing softball. So, yeah. Yeah, he played four games that week. He did a doubleheader, and he's on this 70 and older team, and he's awesome. He's a great pitcher, and he bats. I mean, it's awesome. So I'm like watching him like, he is here. He, I thought, no more sports, Dad. Sit in a chair for the rest of your life. And he's like, no, I can play in two weeks. And I'm like, what? So anyway, just don't let something like that happen. Don't, don't, let, don't hold that grudge. Just, um, you have to forgive someone before, they feel like, before you feel like doing it. Okay? If you wait to feel like it, it might never happen. It's an act of the will. I choose to step over that transgression. That's, that's what forgiveness is. I choose to release you from that prison. That's all it is. It's not saying what you did was right, what you did was okay. It's not saying that. You don't wait for them to ask for forgiveness. Not necessary. You just let it go. You just, the, the, the ideas of stepping over and moving past a transgression. That's what it is. That's what we're called to do, and there's freedom. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Um, this is super serious, but I was raped when I was in college. And I was a virgin. I was going to wait till I was getting married. And this was a friend of mine who knew that and wanted my first time to be with someone who loved me. Um, and so I saw him a couple months after it happened, and I said, you raped me. And he said, I know, and I wanted to kill myself. And I said, you should have. I did. I did. But then the Holy, I, God was like, no. And I said, no, I don't mean that. But God told me early on, Kim, you have to forgive him. You have to forgive him. It was like this intense, you have to do it right away. And I was able, not, not many women who are raped get this opportunity to say, I will not forget what you did to me. And it is not okay, what you've done to my life. But I forgive you. And I can tell you that even though it took some years to kind of really, every year it would kind of come up uh, on that date, which is so weird how think, your, your mind knows that. But I believe that's why I could healthily move through it because I forgave right away. So I know it's hard. Oh, Kim, you don't know. No, I know. It's hard, but you have to do it. It frees you as you release them, Okay. In releasing them from the debt, you're taking back your own freedom. And I know that that's for somebody here this morning. So I'm just going to close this in prayer, and I'm just going to um, lead you in a prayer of forgiving somebody, okay? You can even do it in your mind. I don't know how it's going to go. I'm just going to follow the Holy Spirit. All right. God, I, just, I love stories where we see how much you love I mean, we, we see how bad the Ninevites were and how brutal and violent, and it's like ISIS. But you loved them, and you wanted, to re, you wanted to be reconciled with them. You wanted to be near them, and you wanted to show them compassion. 
And that I know you give us that same forgiveness and that same love and those same chances that's just all-encompassing. God, help us this morning to take that grace and that forgiveness that you've poured on us and to pay it forward. God, I pray right now that the, the women that are here, that there is someone or some persons that they need to forgive, whether it be from now or from when they were a kid, that you would bring them to mind right now. Holy Spirit, just bring that up to their mind, even if they don't want it in their mind. And they're still, they're fi- some of you, your heart's beating so fast right now, you're like, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to forgive. Well, today's the day you're going to forgive. So I just ask that you bring that up into their mind right now. And I just want, I'm going to pray, and I want you all to pray after me. Obviously, I don't know details, but I want everyone to pray so that people that are really needing to forgive don't feel like they're the only voice. So everyone just pray after me. Um, thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you that you lay hold of me no matter where I have been in my life. And God, you know the situation that I have struggled to forgive. You know the, the pain and the hurt that I've walked through. On this morning, I give you my anger. This morning, I give you my right to hold on to it. And God, I forgive the person that has wronged me. I release them to you and your justice. And I ask that you would fill me with peace. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just move on hearts this morning. And I pray, God, that this would just be the beginning of a, of a cleansing work for any woman here that has needed to let go of issues with parents or exes or strangers. I pray that today would be the day that they, cho- that they have chosen, just empowered by your Holy Spirit, to forgive as you've called us to. I speak your blessing on these women. I thank you for the beautiful weather we're having. I pray that they have a great weekend and that they feel you alongside them all the way. I just pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. <laughs>